Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Folding pocket. It's time now for the chipping forecast, issued by Folding Pocket on behalf of Andrew Cotter, Eddie Pepperell and special guest Ian Carter. Hello everyone and welcome to the hotbed of golf that is Budapest. Um, I am at the World Athletics Championships in the aforementioned Budapest and I'm sitting in a commentary position looking down on the track and uh, I'm hoping that it's not too noisy. They're doing all this sort of testing. There might be some full-on music appearing at some point and they'll test the starting pistol. So I might just let Ian uh, steer the way. I might just let Ian. Sorry, Ian's going to steer the way because he's <laughs> beyond special guest status. He's moving up to Richard Osman's status of speciality. And so he is just going to steer you through this, and I'll occasionally uh, add whatever golfing knowledge I have from the last few days. Where I haven't seen that much, but I have caught up with it, with it all. And I'm well aware that Eddie Pepperell, our very own Eddie Pepperell, was on the podium. Should have podiums, really, Ian, shouldn't they, at, uh, at golf? I think it's a really good discussion point, that, actually, um, whether or not you, we should celebrate people who finish second and third in in golf tournaments in the way that you are at the the athletics at the moment andrew you know um because let's face it you finish second or third you've beaten for example in the open if you finish second you've beaten 154 other players that's 154 wins how many people were in in the field in galgorm eddie yesterday uh, about the same amount yeah same amount of people yeah. So you've beaten what 154, 153 people to to finish third there, and yet the the machismo of golf is oh if you if you haven't won then then you've lost, and that's kind of how how it's often regarded. What do you think? Yeah, I quite like that though. You know, golf's a punishing game, and I think why not add to the uh, difficulty by making you feel even worse when you don't win? You know, you're a loser unless you win. I think golf, I'm fine with that. Ian, golf's a tough game. You know, so you were a loser last week then. Well, I wasn't a winner. I mean, you know, I came home though, and Pip and Gus came running up to me and giving me a big lick. So that was my podium finish. <laughs> yeah, they said you're a winner in our eyes. Yeah. Um, it's been a bit. Have you been to Hungary, either of you, Budapest? No, I went to the Hungarian Grand Prix a long, long time ago, mm. and I enjoyed that. Yes, um, and I thought Budapest was one of the most fantastic cities I've ever visited. I really, really would like to go back there. It's beautiful. It's it's all a bit. Um, it's, uh, it's full of carnival at the moment because yesterday was uh, St Stephen's Day, or the day where they celebrate King Stephen, who was the first king of of Hungary as a state in the in the year one thousand. Let's only up in the year one thousand, and then he died, as people do, and he was canonised and made a saint. And now they have this procession on the twentieth of August where they uh, transport. The relics of the state of Hungary, which are crown jewels and a crown, and they, they lead it around the city in a procession. But also in the 
reliquary, which is a box in which you keep relics, I've just learned that, they have um, the mummified right hand of Stephen, King Stephen, the original king of Hungary. And you can actually go and see this uh, mummified hand. If you go to St. Stephen's Basilica in, in the city, you put some money in a slot and it lights up the mummified right hand lying on a cushion for uh, about 30 seconds. I'm not making this up. This is absolutely true. But it's been quite a journey anyway. The, I mean, this is, I don't know why I'm talking about um, Stephen's mummified right hand, but um, title for this week's pod. No, I mean, it's a, it's a holy relic, so I'd I, I be very serious about it. But it's been, it's been all over the place. It was stolen in the, in the 12th century, and then it ended up in uh, some caves near Salzburg during the Second World War. And, um, yeah, so little did Stephen know what was going to happen to his, his hand after he departed. Was he, as it's his right hand, did it have the pro sender on it? I mean, I, I think that's as, uh, as wanton an early mention of pro sender as you're going to get. But no, it, it didn't. And that's why he was, he was never a good golfer. And that's why golf didn't take off in Hungary. But I got caught up in a procession as well yesterday. I was pushing away because we had very little time between the morning and evening sessions. So I raced back to the city for a little bit of lunch. And then I was racing back to, to uh, get, we, we get these little scooters to get back to the stadium. It's about sort of 40 minutes or so. And I was trying to, pushing through this crowd and saying, excuse me, excuse me, as I do, very politely. Then I realized I was standing next to a couple of uh, monks at the head of this uh, crowd and that I was actually pushing my way through a procession um, of great holiness and I felt terrible about it. But um, there we are. That's what I've been up to, apart from shouting athletes' names and probably getting a few wrong as well. I'm getting excited. You did make me laugh when you tweeted that you'd put sun cream on and, and then were encountered with the worst rain imaginable. Well, it, I mean, it was horrendous that first morning and it wasn't forecast. And somebody showed me a radar picture of the whole of Europe and there was this little cloud sitting over Budapest. And I thought, well, maybe that's sitting over you, sitting over me. So that is, that is what happens. So it was, but now it is, um, it is incredibly, uh, Lucas Glover would be wearing his dark trousers today. It's 35 <laughs> degrees today and tomorrow and. It's incredibly warm. I know, Eddie, you're heading out to this neck of the woods or thereabouts. It's only about 230 miles to Prague next week for the Czech Masters, so good luck with that. Thank you. Yeah, we're off tomorrow, me and Jen. I'll have a look at the forecast. I think it's due to rain a bit and cool down come the weekend, but it does look hot until that point. So strange weather. We've had a lot of odd weather in Prague over the years, actually. You know, one day it can be 35 degrees and the next 15, you know, 10 degrees. So, um, I mean, the other thing about um, Budapest, um, I, I'm saying Pest because pronunciation is a thing in the chipping forecast, isn't it? Yes. And they, they say they get it a little bit, um, if in Hungary you say to a Hungarian Budapest, they say, no, Pest. Well, there's the music starting. Is that going to be off-putting? That probably is going to be off-putting. No, it's fine. It's fine. Honestly, it's fine. It? Would they so, be Pest off if, the, if you asked that question? Oh, I can't get to my, oh, I have got it somewhere, my uh, crickets effects, but it, it's, listen, it's too complicated uh, to get to it, so... No, 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 I'll back in. That was good. I, I thought that was a good one. No need for in. Okay. I didn't, but a lot of, wait, listen, it's a democracy, the chipping forecast. So I think this might be getting a little bit too loud. So No, um, we're fine. We're, we're, is, is it okay? We're, we're absolutely fine. Um, yeah, but, but do you I, think we have people listening to this, Ian, who, who listen to it late at night and like a soothing podcast? So. Yeah, well, sometimes you have to go with the flow. I want to go back to, to Gal Gorm, actually, with Eddie, because I think we'd, we'd, we haven't really covered off um, what was, even though a loss, uh, an excellent week, Eddie. Was, is, this the, is this the pro sender coming into its own for you? Well, strangely enough, I actually haven't been using it for the last two or three weeks, um, <laughs> given all the chat. Uh, this is death to the pro sender here. So, um... so it's going to become a relic that's transported through Sean Foley's hometown in a thousand years. 
Yeah, not to say that it hasn't had a small influence and not to say I won't use it moving forward. But what I think I've realized with it is that it translates nicely into a driver feel for me. And last week I didn't use the driver. A couple of different reasons. One, accuracy was of primary importance. Two, the course wasn't massively long. And three, you had to be in the fairway. So um, yeah, that was my priority. And I felt like I could um, just focus on my iron play mostly. And, and the, like I say, the translation with the Pro Center for me helps more with the driver than the iron play. So uh, yeah, I've been doing a few other bits mind and have been using some other training aids, which uh, we could name at some point. But Oh, well, we'll certainly get into that. I was just wondering about your journey to get there because you seem to be filled with angst and all sorts of things going wrong too on the short hop over the water. Yeah, Flea Tuesday, lost my clubs, arrived and uh, found out, arrived into Belfast City and then had a hire car from Belfast International. So that was news to me. Obviously lost the clubs. And then it was a bit of a panic because Wednesday there were only a couple of manufacturers there with their trucks who were able to potentially build me up a set of clubs anyway, one of whom said they couldn't because they were too busy. So I was uh, really reliant on the boys at TaylorMade. And I've got to say they did a great job. There are a couple of lovely lads on there, actually, and they made me a whole set. And I used them in the Pro-Am and hit my irons so well in the Pro-Am that even though my original clubs arrived Thursday morning, which are and irons, I didn't put them in. I kept my tailor maids in. So, um, oh. yeah, funny how things work. Well, that's, in, I mean, that's, that's really interesting because, sorry, I'm not aware of your sponsorship and club status. Wait, what, what, uh, are you well, duty bound to play or are you Brooks Kepka free agent? Yeah. You do what you well, want. Well, I, I would say I'm not quite like Brooks Kepka in the sponsorship, you know, realm because obviously, uh, for obvious reasons, I would have thought. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I use what I want and, um, Strix and Irons I've used for a good year, year and a half, but just the way the cookie crumbles, I suppose. And not only that, a few other things changed. You know, I, I it was an opportunity for me. So I, I made, the, I put the grips on the irons to be even the thinnest I could find. So the, the grips were slightly thinner because I've been trying to change my grip a little bit to grip it more in the fingers. So I used that as an opportunity to do so. Um, and there was, there was uh, something else I mentioned in the chat. That's right. Plum bobbing, which we could maybe get onto plum bobbing. But first for the first week in my life, I tried plum bobbing after watching Sung JM a couple of weeks ago on television. Use it. I then went onto YouTube and me and Jamie tried it in the pro-am and I used it. And last week, I think I led the putting and without the plum bobbing technique. And I don't know that there's any science behind it, but I've got to say it made a huge difference. So just explain that because uh, Charlie Hole uses that as well. And it used to be really in, in fashion, didn't it? That all the pros used to do that, holding the, the putter out in front of them and, and sort of working out the line from that. So what does it give you? Well, it definitely gives you a guide. That's the first thing. So I'm not a particularly good green reader, especially when there's not a lot of break in putts. I tend to overread the putts all the time and miss on the high side, which, you know, they say is a pro's thing to do, which always annoys me because if you miss you miss you know whether you're high or low you miss you you're a loser ian um so um i yeah uh, <laughs> it gave me a nice guide and what i found with it is that yeah it, it kind of underread my putts a little for me so on putts that are quite straight i think it's a good technique now the other thing that i realized when i was doing it initially is i was just looking i was kind of holding it up uh, online with my nose so the center of my head would be online with the ball and the hole but actually my dominant eye is my right eye so what I had to actually learn to do was line it up with my right eye. And once I figured that out on the on the Thursday, and I started using it on the back nine on Thursday and hold, I think, nearly every part on the back nine, it just clicked and I did it all week and hold a lot of you know putts that I definitely wouldn't have hold without using it. I'm happy to say that. So a lot of things about, about that, you know, and changing your equipment, something new, different feel, different look, different technique. That That sounds so, that's peak golf, isn't it? That something changes and perhaps nothing is 
has really changed about your game, about your swing, about your putting stroke, but there's a different feel. It's like when you get a new putter. A new putter always feels like the best putter in the world. And then after a couple of weeks, you go, oh, I hate this. I'm going to throw this in with the relics. And it's, that's, that's amazing. And, and, and sometimes that's probably just the trigger one needs to, to get on a bit of a roll, just a, a change. Yeah, maybe. It's, it's either the caddy or the equipment, isn't it, really? Well, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Um, I mean, years ago, when I won the British Masters, I don't know that I've mentioned this to you guys, but in 2018, the week before at the Dunhill Links, I broke a six iron uh, on the third round. And um, I needed a six iron, really, I felt, for Sunday at St. Andrews. So I went to Octoloni's and took my six iron in and said, have you got this this shaft? And they didn't. They only had another shaft. So I thought, well, it's better than no six iron. So I put it in. And the next day, I the two best shots I hit, no word of a lie, were with my six iron into the wind, especially. So I went next week to Walton Heath at the British Masters and spoke to the Mizuno boys. And we did some testing and I put a whole new set in with that with that new iron shaft and hold two iron shots on, way to, on the route to winning. Um, and it's just so strange the way those things occur. I agree with you. It's like people look at, look at a spell of say six months within an athlete or a golfer's career and they see perfect order. But the truth is there's a lot of chaos that occurs within all of that. And as long as there is enough general kind of pattern in there, that's positive, then you can see good performance. But, um, yeah, last week was a strange one. There was certainly a few, few, um, odd things thrown into the mix. Just going back to to the chaos of your start to your week in in Northern Ireland. So your bags went to the the wrong place. Your hire car was at the wrong airport. Uh, I, th- I saw you said on on the on the chat that we had that hire car that you did get was the size of a raisin, which made me laugh. And then you turned up, and then you had to play in in the pro am. We got a wonderful email from David. Uh, the email address: the chipping forecast at foldingpocket.co.uk. And he encountered you. I won't go through it all, but he encountered you uh, while he was listening to the chipping forecast. He was absolutely thrilled and very grateful to to meet you. And then he he surmised that your response would be another bloody six hour round in a pro am. Met some chap in a car park who listened to the podcast. Was that sort of an accurate up sum of how that occurred? It was a long pro am, a particularly long pro am. Um, but no, I was I was all right. I was in a fairly good mood, and it was just odd to hear nice to the window. It was just odd to hear the window come down and. You know the the theme tune to the chipping forecast. It was, uh, and I'll say <laughs> there's so many people on the course last week. Well, there wasn't so many people, but there were the, of the people that were there. There was a number of them who came up to me and just said how much they're enjoying the uh, the podcast. So we seemingly are onto a good thing, guys. So I'll try not to ruin it for us. Did you see the weather? What the bovines around uh, in that field? They're some of the prettiest bovines I've ever seen in, in there last oh, week. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um. Oh, actually, on that note, another uh, email came in. From Ian May. Ian and Ipswich, he styles himself. Uh, loving the podcast. I've been waiting to hear the 130 line I remember from Tiger Woods' PlayStation game. Any shot that went into the bunker was greeted with, get out your bucket and spade, kids. Uh, <laughs> like that, I think. So, yeah, it was just, it was just bad. But, but I do remember that one as well. So, so he says he still wants to say that to his playing partners now when I'm on the course and they probably love it, Ian. Thank you for your email. Did you see the email from Jordan as well? He said, my my favourite was a very rare, but when you had a really long putt, David Fairty would sing the Bonnie Banks of Loch Lomond. Do you remember yeah, that one? Yeah, I, I think I remember him saying, uh, yeah, you'll take the high road and I'll take the low road or whatever. But nobody nobody has corroborated uh, Eddie's story stroke made up memory 
uh, that David Ferti talked about. It's getting to the point where I'm going to have to... You're doubting yourself now, aren't you? Well, I'm going to just create a fake email and email in, I think, and corroborate my own story. <laughs> I remember what Eddie said. Absolutely, that was a key line in the game. And also, Eddie is very handsome and intelligent. Um, I, I mean, but I would... The trouble is we're living vicariously through you now on tour, Eddie. So I, I, I you know, I'm following results. And, you know, when, and then I, I, because I was doing athletics, I couldn't see any of the final round or see any of it or follow it. And then I switched on the phone afterwards and it was uh, third place. And I thought, go go on, you good thing. Um, so I'm, I'm delighted. Uh, you're now up to uh, just outside the world's top 200, the highest since May 2021. It's all happening. It's all coming together thanks to... Thanks to losing your clubs. So, there we are. Can, can I have your old set then? Actually, it'll be too stiff for me. But They've gone on, though. I've sent them all to Prague. There must be 40 clubs in a travel bag that's gone on a truck. So, God knows how much that's <laughs> weighing in out. I'm surprised they all managed to fit. Was it nice to be in contention again? Now, what were the, the feelings, the old feelings coming back? I'm not, yeah, you're in contention because they, it was sort of you were in contention for one of the places. But it must have been a lovely feeling. Yeah, it was. Um, and obviously, I haven't really been there for quite a long time, certainly since last year. And it is important. You know, when you're there, irrespective really of how it pans out, just putting yourself in that position is one of the most important things you can do as a golfer, really. Um, the hardest part for me last week, though, may have been the Thursday, you know, just the kind of apprehension that you feel on, on the early part of a round, having not played for a month, frankly, knowing that I need to start playing some better golf on a golf course that's quite difficult in tough conditions. And I started with a bogey and a good bogey at that, actually. So when I think back to how I was feeling off the back of that bogey to end up coming third, is um I think a sign that you know there's a lot of kind of good things happening in my game um bubbling under the surface and if I can keep keep doing what I'm doing and growing confidence then you know I could maybe have a very good next six months but um we'll have to wait and see really it's uh, and also on a golf course that frankly I don't love Galgon Castle not that it's a bad golf course it's just it's tree lined and I don't like tree lined courses um so uh and it's a parkland course and, and i much preferred my day at castle rock on the links course which was a wonderful little links course actually yeah but you've got a good record at uh, i noticed that because i'm stalking your career at the czech masters at the albatross course you finished eighth last year did you not did you well you did because i've just seen it did you not strangely i've got a very good record around that course now that's not a tree line course it's pretty open uh and they say you know it favors the longer hitters which may be true in terms of the winners but i've done very well there over the years a bit like portugal it's one of those courses i think for me I always feel more comfortable on courses that are wide open visually so that I can swing more freely. Once I start getting into tree line courses, Wentworth being the most obvious example, then I just freeze up entirely. And I'm happy to admit that I, I really struggle to swing freely when the trees are as big and as imposing as they are at the West course at Wentworth. Should uh, highlight Dan Brown. That was, that was some uh, performance normally on a, um, normally on a, a DP world tour uh, press release that you get. It's usually alliteration as the headline, but they were a bit more imaginative saying Dan Brown cracked the code, yeah. um, which was, was good to see crickets, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, um, yeah, that was a heck of a performance, wasn't it, from him? And the other thing to say is, of course, that tournament shared with the, with the women as well. Uh, Pano the Spaniard on a 19th birthday winning a playoff after Ryan O'Toole probably should have won. What was the dynamic like there with the, with the, with the women involved as well? Yeah, so I've played both the mixed events this year. So the one in Sweden, which is a completely mixed. You play in the same tournament. You're playing with the women. Um, and honestly, I much prefer that uh, layout of the uh, format of the event. Um, I, for me, it doesn't work when there's two separate events. I think 
given as well how weak the men's field was, um, there's definitely space in an event like that just to shrink the fields and all come together and play one tournament with 150 guys, you know, half men, half women. So although that event is not going to be on next year, unfortunately, so that's that for the the ISPS hander. But in terms of Dan Brown, I thought it was a great performance. In fact, I spoke to Laurie because I had dinner with Laurie a couple of times who played with him. That's Laurie Cantor, Mm. played with Dan over the first two days. And he said that he was a brilliant player and had all the shots and, you know, clearly playing with confidence, having done well in America a little while ago. So he's certainly somebody to watch out for. It reminds me a little bit of Matt Wallace, actually, when I look at him. You know, he's, no, he's a good, good, confident looking player and he's got all the, clearly got all the tools. Rhino tools. He's got all the rhino tools. Yeah. The rhino tools. Um, was she the partner of Georgia Hall? I don't know. That is correct. Yes. correct. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just, I didn't, I didn't see the results in the, in the women's event. So well done her. Oh, yeah. nearly well done her. Anyway, I just want to, well, you, you sort of, you alluded to it there that it wasn't the strongest field. The two, there were, I think, three players in the top 100 and two of them, uh, Bob McIntyre missed the cut. Victor Perez withdrew. And Bob McIntyre, and you know, a lot of players now they're just starting to, that final push, can I, can I have that run where I might get into Luke Donald's? thoughts or force my way in and uh yeah i was was surprised to see bob mcintyre missing the cut but um onward to the czech masters i see shane lowry's playing at the czech masters um so it's some you know it's a better field at the czech masters certainly but after he missed the top 70 to get into the tour uh the the playoffs over in the states obviously he's giving it a go at the czech masters so looking forward to that at the albatross club shall we talk usa and um I just got one other question before we move on to like Kepka and the and the USA situation, and that was because you just brought him up, um, Laurie Cantor. I thought it was really interesting that he was playing, and you know he's obviously paid up his his fines. He said that this was his plan to come back and start playing on the uh, DP World Tour, but I mean he's been heavily involved one way or another with with Liv, but is now back on the DP World Tour when he could have played the Asian Tour event at. at close house presumably eddie um not asking you to betray any confidences or anything but it is interesting isn't it that there has been a pathway that has brought him back into the fold on the dp world tour yeah well laurie has like you say paid the fines that were um you know that's allowed him to play on the tour and uh he ultimately is in the same position as me from the dp world tour's perspective he's a dp world tour player member and uh is entitled to play wherever he wants to play or wherever he can play with eligibility and all that. So I th- I agree with you. It was good to see him not playing the Asian Tour event from my perspective, selfishly being a DP World Tour player. And I think that's a good sign for the for the DP World Tour in that, you know, the non-Live players, I mean, we know the Live players who played on the Asian Tour, they're contractually obliged to play on the Asian Tour. So they have to be there. Not that they want to be there necessarily. They have to be there. So somebody like Laurie, who's not got any contractual obligations, he had a free choice and he chose to play in Northern Ireland. And I think that's an important sign and is a good sign for the DP World Tour moving forward. I think there is still an appetite for the good players to come back to the DP World Tour. That's my opinion. I've got a, uh, a neat segue from Europe to the USA in uh, a Fitzpatrick-based segue because another good, very good performance by Alex Fitzpatrick, second uh, on the DP World Tour in Northern Ireland. And Matt Fitzpatrick showing very encouraging signs as well, second uh, at the BMW Championship, where Victor Hovland, Coleman 28, one over level threes for his back nine in the final round. All threes except for his birdie four in the par five 15. 61 to take that. Says it's the, the best round he's played, which is it was quite something. But what a performance from Hovland, from Matt Fitzpatrick. And uh, yeah, I didn't see any of it, but I'm just imagine I'm visualizing it. And oh, look, oh, oh look what he's done there. That's, I'm using my powerful <laughs> imagination. But that must have, yeah, did, did you watch it, Ian? 
Yeah, I watched it. And um, I mean, you know, we talked about it last week, Olympia Fields, a US Open venue back in, in 2003, a really tough golf course. Obviously, they'd had rain, it had been softened. And so it it was a lot more gettable than the, the last time it was played there when John Rahm won. Um, but my goodness me, what a performance from Victor Hovland, who has just improved. And I think, obviously, his ball striking and, and that aspect of his game has never been in question but the short game the composure of his putting he just looked so so good in every respect uh especially last night and he just kind of blew away Scotty Scheffler who again I mean his putting had improved quite considerably in the course of that tournament but last night at the key moments let him down terrible three putt coming down the 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 stretch there he's not going to get anything conceded in the Ryder Cup I think we, we can say say very safely but Hovland looks absolutely fantastic and I think him and there's one other who who were top twenty in all the majors but he was contending in them I, I, he's just a phenomenal talent and I, I really feel like something has has clicked that is now making him the player that we expected him to be. Yeah, I would agree with that. In terms of his major performances, it's no surprise, in my opinion, to see him doing so well in the majors. They tend to reward great ball striking and he is as good as it gets. Tita Green, obviously, there's question marks around his short game and I still think he's a long way behind the best players on tour around the greens. But ultimately, when you're as good off the tee and with your irons and on the greens as he is, you're going to have a great career and uh, a lot of success. So and not only that, above everything else, he's such a wonderful character, great kid, and he's so easy to root for and... and um yeah, what a, what a joy he is to watch play golf. I bet you that Scotty Scheffler putts well in the Ryder Cup. There's something about match play. It has in the past. Some average putters mm. have become quite good putters because it, it, the mentality of match play, you're not quite so... What you, you can be more aggressive. Monty. Monty was was certainly one of them. I mean, Westwood was not a bad putter yeah. in the Ryder Cup. I'd like to see stats to back that up rather than just speculating wildly but you know in match play you're not worried so much about the one coming back so uh, is my theory on that anyway it might be nonsense Eddie but I don't think that's nonsense at all I think that's a really good point yeah. and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does putt well in Italy and goes 5-0 five, five he's such an imperious ball striker I mean he, I don't even think he needs to putt that well to win every match in Rome you know that golf course is going to reward great ball striking and if you just keep knocking the fairways and the greens out there you're going to win your match in my opinion even if you put average it's going to be very very difficult to to beat you so he's going to be a tough tough nut to crack in in Rome Michael sorry McElroy fourth uh, Ian just uh, quickly on that uh, just the consistency of McElroy's performance it, it you become rather blase about it don't you, you just think well McElroy fourth and you go uh. But it's, inc- yeah. it's incredible. It's just, it's relentless excellence, isn't it? It really is relentless excellence from from McElroy. Week in, week out, he very, very rarely fails. And, you know, again, go back to where we started on the, the, the podium chat. You know, I know he finished fourth yesterday, but how many podiums would, would, would he have that I think is a, a fact that should be a lot more celebrated in his Career. Getting lively in the stadium now, Andrew. Well, I'm sorry, there's a medal ceremony taking place, but they're actually doing it outside <laughs> the stadium, but they're showing it inside the stadium. Uh, there's a dignitary who looks a little bit like John Travolta from this distance, who is about to present the medal, so I'm not quite sure who that is, or what the medal ceremony is for, because my eyes at this distance, I can't quite see it. But uh, maybe you should fade me out and you have a chat for a couple of minutes for this medal ceremony. I'll, I'll tell you what medal ceremony it is in a moment. Oh, it's uh, Barrega, so it's the men's 10,000 metres. So Joshua Cheptegei. Ugandan is about to get his third consecutive gold medal. Mm, so there we are. Good. We are. Good chance on the golf podcast. Thank you.
Yeah. Um, Eddie, uh, obviously that was the last qualifying event for the American team for the Ryder Cup. So we know we know six players who are in, and I wish I'd written them down. I've got them here. I've got them here. So we've got Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Brian Harmon, Patrick Cantley, Max Homer confirming his place, and Xander Schauffele. So they're the half dozen that we know are definitely in. And then that means Brooks Kepka right at the last has been edged out. So does the live player, Brooks Kepka, winner of the PGA Championship, does he get a wild card pick suddenly? Um, Zach Johnson's got to make a decision there about about Kepka. Yeah, he has. It's going to be an interesting one. I, I mean, for me, I would I would pick Brooks. Um, that being said, he has not played a great deal of golf, and he only has played. He hasn't played great since winning um, in May or whenever it was. So, you know, it's not like he's showing good form on live and it's a no-brainer to pick him. I think there would be a reason why you maybe wouldn't pick Brooks because he isn't playing great when he is playing at the moment. And you could make the argument there are six players playing better than him, but I would still pick Brooks. And, you know, I, I've maybe been converted to picking Justin Thomas as well at this point. I think, you know, my caddy talked to me last week about it and he said it's a bit like Sergio uh, at the Ryder Cup and or Poulter. I mean, we forget Poulter only qualified mm. for one Ryder Cup, which is kind of incredible given just the success he's had in the event and shows that, and I think Justin Thomas is of a similar ilk to Ian Poulter when it comes to match play, great character, really gutsy competitor. And again, it's going to be tough to beat. So I think if I was in charge and, and I had to decide on the picks, I, I would probably pick Brooks and Justin Thomas and then pick four other players. You've got so much strength in that team. It's crazy. So that would be my thoughts. Well, Ugandan national anthem is playing here. So I will respectfully and quietly say, um, just quietly going back to uh, Victor Hovland, um, saying that was the best round he'd ever played. Can, is there one round in your career, Eddie, that stands out? Every, every golfer has the best round that they still look back on and go, oh, what a day, what a day. What a day. Uh, I had a, well, I had a good day with Phil back in Carnoustie in 2018, but I would say, Jamie, my caddy, again, brought this up last week. We were talking about County Down and how great it is that it's hosting the Irish Open next year again. And when it was there in 2015, I came second. I lost in a playoff, actually, to uh, Soren Kjeldsen. But Jamie's got a much better memory than me, and he, he reminded me that on the Sunday, I think I was one of only two rounds under par, and actually I played bogey-free. So I probably would say... That might well be the round of my career. Now, it's no 61. It was only two under par, but in the tough conditions that we had that day. And I remember playing with Luke Donald, actually. And in fact, I remember I was lining the ball up on the greens for the first three rounds, but it was so windy on the Sunday that I just completely did away with lining the ball up and had a four-foot putt on one par three that went from inside left to a cup outside left, varying dependence on the wind. So it was uh, that kind of day. And Luke Donald looked at you and said, listen, if I ever become Ryder Cup captain, <laughs> just uh, keep your diary free. I'm going to ask Eddie to uh, deliver the water bottles to Roy McIlroy. Oh, it'd be quite a nice job, actually, being in the team room and uh, and all that. Ian, have you had a best, best round? I have two, two that spring to mind. I shot a one over par 72 in uh, off the back tees at my club, par 71. And that was that was... That was really, really good. Um, and I shot a 74 when I had an eight on the last. Um, uh, and that was, that was like in my first competition at the club that I just joined. So I was pleased about that. Um, but the one that really sticks in my mind was with you, Andrew, when we played off the very back tips at Royal Troon in a howling gale. And, and it, it actually played into my hands because none of the bunkers were drivable for me. 
and I was really good with my fairway woods. And I, I, I think I nearly broke eighty in you yeah. know in a howling gale round Royal Trone off the off the tip. So yeah. that's the one that sticks in my memory. I made a noise of recollection there that you're round at Royal Trone, but because it didn't involve me and because you were playing well, I totally blanked that from my memory. And but that's what golf's like, isn't it? People tell you about their rounds. Oh, and... we played with Lawrence Donegan. You must remember it. I don't genuinely. I, d- I don't. We drove down from Loch Lomond. Mm. We get. Oh, okay. come on. Uh, that shows how long ago it was. It was when well the Scottish done, Well was done. Well, well, that's well. Every, every golfer's got memory I, of the I, best I, round. Though, don't they? So come on. I thought the BBC were paying Gary Lineker a lot of money, but you guys sound like you've got a hell of a, hell of a No, no, this was, uh, this was, this was our, our <laughs> one day. We used to do the Scottish Open and then the Open Championship, and it was just, we were always at one day to sort of decompress after the... It, it was, it, we'd, play, uh, we'd play in the evening after we'd covered the golf yeah, exactly. in the daytime. So. Oh yes, I do, remember, down I do remember it now. Yes. Those were good days at Loch Lomond in the yeah. Scottish Open. So. What's your best round? I had one round where I I, I started at Kamarna Brassy on the old course at Kamarna Brassy before we changed it. I started birdie eagle eagle birdie once. I was six over on the fifth, six hundred on the fifth tee, and I had never been so nervous in my life. And I just carved it out of bounds. If you know the old fifth at Brassy, it's got a field on the right with bovines and uh, yes, the celestial voice of David Ferty rained down from the heavens as I carved it out of bounds. I mean, I shot 68 when I think it was three under. But I, that's what interests me, Eddie. When at your level, if you, if you get in a run of good scoring and a really hot run, is that just in the bank and it's forgotten about and you're moving on saying, right, that's done now. It's like putting bogeys behind you. Putting birdies and eagles behind you is, is a similar thing. Oh, I think it's tough to put it to bed entirely. I, I saw recently when after Bryson shot 58 or 59, whatever he shot, um, they were comparing the strokes gained and, you know, how how that compared to, you know, in a tally of 20 other rounds. And it turned out it wasn't one of the best 20 in terms of a strokes gained perspective. But I didn't think that was a particularly accurate way of looking at it because if you shoot in the 50s, there's a massive psychological component to shooting in the 50s. And I think that makes it in and of itself a harder thing to do. So um shooting low is a very difficult thing to do one thing bryson did say post his uh, 58 or 59 uh, was practicing off the red tees when you're a good young player to shoot low to practice shooting low is a great thing to do and that is such a great piece of advice um you know you do need to feel comfortable being six seven eight nine under par it's um there's a real mentality to the game once you start getting to, to those sort of deep numbers now you mentioned your caddy uh, Jamie uh, Eddie. Um, I got a, a nice WhatsApp from Gary in Ireland, who um, took a picture of Jamie in the course of last week. Uh, two things: one, you don't have a big tour bag, do you? Well, I don't have a big caddy. No, so which I think so. I think that's really, really generous um, towards your caddy. But also, he got some extraordinarily colourful socks on that. Gary speculates are leftovers from wilderness and he's just like confirmation on that. Funny you say that. So Jamie did invest in, I think about seven or eight pairs of stance socks, um, which are a nice, good brand, great brand of socks. Actually, if you like the socks, (laughs) you should definitely buy some stance socks. Um, Anyway, Jamie decided to buy eight pairs. Now it turns out one of the pairs he bought, and it might well be this pair that uh, Gary's alluding to. It was identical to the pair of socks that I wore one of the days at wilderness. So, um, you know, great minds and small brains think alike. There we go. There we go. But my my thing with the stand bag, Ian, is, is some weeks, you know, carrying that tour bag around, that is energy sapping. And I, we more often than not, we don't need a tour bag. It's not raining. Again, I've got no sponsors because nobody really wants to sponsor me and who can blame them. Um, but, you know, for Jamie, I would rather him not waste energy carrying, lugging around a, a big tour bag in 30 degree heat. It's a complete waste of time. Now, 
weeks like the Dunhill links or when we play in the UK and it gets very wet, uh, I'll often, and I'm driving, I will take a tour bag up there in case we need to use it. And he's happy to, uh, you know, an extra charge, of course, he will carry a tour bag. So he charges extra for that? Absolutely, yeah. Quite a lot extra as well. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. One other area that I wanted to discuss was obviously the Tour Championship this week. What do we think of their scoring system whereby Scotty Scheffler is going to start at 10 under par, Victor Hovland's going to start at 8 under, Rory McIlroy at 7 under as you have that advantageous position for finishing the, the season length uh, as number one, two, three, and, and all the way down. So I think it's the last five players uh, out of the 30 don't get any kind of advantage of being under par. What do we think about that? I was out on it initially. Um, I don't know what that means, I was out on it. Uh, I didn't really like it initially, but I can see how if you're looking to make it the season-ending championship, and to guarantee that there is some sort of uh, closeness in it, or, or more that there's some clarity to it, to understand exactly where people stand, then I get that. Eddie, you'll be too young to remember the Krypton Factor on TV. Do you remember the Krypton Factor? No, I don't factor? know what Krypton Factor means. The Krypton Factor, they had a, an assault course at the end. It was a sort of series of tasks, intelligence-based, and then they had a physical challenge at the end, which was an assault course. But they sent off, they handicapped it, so they sent off... Uh, well, first of all, the, uh, uh, the, I think it was two women and two men competing. The women went off first, but also it was depending on how well you'd done in the tasks up until that point. And then so if you'd done really well in the tasks up to that point, you got a bit of a start, and then somebody in a, a polyester green suit uh, would, would be the last person to go. Uh, I don't know why I remember that detail, but they were sort of green and yellow suits and they would change and then they'd be going over the, the netting and then they'd be doing a rope swing. And the, It was very, very strange. It was a very, very quintessentially 1980s BBC... Uh, no, it wasn't BBC, 1980s television programme, Channel 4, with Gordon Burns uh, presenting it. And it, it would never get... I don't think it would get commissioned now. Uh, health and safety wouldn't allow it, but it was it was quite entertaining. Anyway, I quite like the idea of the sort of handicapping system and a bit of a charge to it, but it's just, I suppose, the idea of Scotty Scheffler were saying he's at 10 under par, because he's not. But, um, but it's set up very nicely for a dramatic finish because of the contenders who are there. $18 million for first place. $18 million. Uh, second gets $6.5 million. Down to 30th place, if you make it to the Tour Championship, $500,000 if you finish last at uh, East Lake. So there we are. Well done, everyone. Yeah, it's good work if you can get it, obviously. I, I, I don't love it, Ian. Um, I guess for me, it's uh, an example of a number of factors that have come together. You know, the, it, the tournament itself needs to remain fair to Scotty Scheffler in this instance. So, you know, if if he starts at level par, having had a great season and, and they want to emphasize the event to the degree in which they do to reward FedEx, which is obviously the main sponsor, then, you know, it can, it, it's juggling all these balls. And I think they've landed on this process, which I get. I mean, it, it's the fair thing to do for Scotty Scheffler in this instance, but I don't really like it as a concept. I, I struggle when Scotty Scheffler, somebody's starting 10 under and somebody's starting at level par. I think, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, with four or five steps down this road of uh, trying to create something else, I've not made any sense there. No, but you have made sense because in sport now we're always trying to we're always trying to create perfect drama in sport, and sometimes sport plays out that it's not perfectly dramatic and exciting. And um, 
I yeah I I don't know I don't, I I'm neither one way or the other on the phone. That's what I meant. Well yes, but then I sort of faded out into nonsense after that because I didn't really know what I was saying either because I was put off by the stadium and I said, oh no, look, it's uh, is that Katrina Johnson Thompson getting her medal just now? Oh. oh, we're going to we're going to have the national anthem in a moment. So there we are. Well, that's interesting, Ian, because the 800 meters in the heptathlon, when you're commentating on it, you're constantly having to explain that she needs to, they don't go off in a staggered start according to where they lie after six events. Mm. So you're saying, well, Anna Hall needs to finish about three seconds clear of Katarina Johnson-Thompson, but you can't see it on the tracks. So you're sort of explaining it and counting down the seconds as they race round, but it's not, they're not coming across the line together. Anna Hall comes across the line, and then you're going, right, that's one, that's two, that's two and a half seconds, where Katarina Johnson-Thompson's probably won that. So... There's a digression into another sport. Yeah, well, no, but see, last week how I I was really praising your commentary skills at, at golf. I mean, that is nothing to my admiration for anybody who commentates on athletics, you know. And isn't that lovely that we've got the national anthem in the background for KJT? Um, it's just getting more and more surreal this pod. Um, but in all honesty, that level of interpretation of a race as it's going on is extraordinary how do you do it uh well i get it wrong quite a lot actually well it's interesting um uh i w- was commentating and see they've got a mixed four by 400 meter relay now which nobody people don't really get on board with that much it's right on the very first day anyway i was commentating on it and it used to be that you could put your you've got two men running and two women running you could put them in any order you wanted and I didn't realize that they had changed it so that you have to go man, woman, man, woman. So I was saying in commentary saying, well, every team has decided to go for the same order, man, woman, man, woman. Everyone's just decided, I think, that that's the best way to do it. And then I got a few people coming at me, as they say on Twitter, saying, somebody please tell at Mr. Andrew Cotter, little clown face, that um, they've changed the rules so you have to do it in that order. And uh, so I, I, I do get it wrong. And in the 10,000 meters, uh, when Joshua Cheptegei won, because there's a lot of talking as they just jostle for early positions, I did end up running out of things to say a little bit and actually talking about St. Stephen of, uh, of Hungary and the transportation of the relics. I don't think I talked about the mummified right hand, which I'm glad about, because the early stages of the 10,000 meters are not really the place for that. I thought I'll save that for a, a golf podcast. I'm probably going to have to depart at some point, Ian, because... Um, but can we run through just a couple of quick things in terms of um, uh, US Amateur? I just round up some things. Um, Nick Dunlap won that one, 19-year-old. So he did what the Tiger Woods double of winning US Junior Amateur. So winning the US Amateur, Tiger did it three times. And at, at the Boys Amateur Championship, I just want to talk about this quickly. Chris Kim, yeah, English player, plays out of Walton Heath. I think he's already got... Uh, no, started actually oh. and is still a member at my club. Oh, by the way, Walton Heath, they just nick all our people. Oh, oh. By the way, carry on. What, so what club did he start at then? He's a big, he's a big hero. He beat, my, he beat my son in a in a, a club knockout, um, like 10 and 8. Right. He's brilliant. Chris Kim, he's brilliant. I've seen him since he was like, I mean, he's he's only 15 now, but he, I've seen him. Since he was the height of Jamie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think he's already got some sponsorship, you know, from uh, CJ, who do the CJ Cup. I think they, they do some amateur sponsorship. Anyway, he's a big, big talent. Uh, Germany's Helen Bream won the Girls' Amateur Championship. I was going down the list of former winners of the Boys' Amateur Championship. 
the British boys, as we used to call it. And sometimes you go on to great success, people who have uh, uh, won the boys. Um, but you'd have to go back to Ewan Ferguson as the last sort of familiar name. He won it in 2013. Matt Fitzpatrick won it in 2012. I mean, other great players, Howard Clark back in the 70s, Ronan Rafferty. Tom Lewis won it in 2009, Ian. Yes. Who did he beat in the final? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, you better ask Eddie. Eddie, what was the score? Oh, some, I think it was some from Oxfordshire. Um, <laughs> Do you remember that or have you cast that to your, the back of your mind? I remember it. Tom was far, far too good for me. St George's, uh, five and four, over 36 holes, I would say. So, um, But there we go. But it's interesting how great juniors don't ne- in all sports don't necessarily go on to outstanding uh, senior mm. careers. So there's a there's sort of transitional phase between the ages of 18 and 22, which seem to be so formative and so crucial in golf. And also going from being an amateur to playing as a professional, very different thing when you're playing for your your livelihood. So the Walker Cup teams have been named. I'll just sort of leave on, on that as I go across to do some uh, do some athletics commentary. Uh, I'm not going to go through the team. Ireland have got the largest contingent in the Great Britain Island side. Looking forward to that. And we'll talk about it a little bit more when it's up, upon us up at St Andrews in a, uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to going there, actually. You're going to be there as well, Andrew? I am going to be there. I'm doing... I'm doing the, I'm commentating on it, but I'm also doing the opening ceremony for it, so that will be torture for everyone. But I, you know, I just want to leave you quickly, uh, as I go, leave this part of the chat with this thing. Hi, I'm Michael Johnson. I tried golf, don't really like it. You're listening to The Chipping Forecast. There we are. What a great man, but a, a terrible golfer. Anyway, I, I'm going to leave you and go and do some athletics commentary. Just before you go, Mark Tompkins got in touch. He uh, agreed completely with us on all we were saying about uh, commentary. But I, you'll, you'll be very pleased to hear what he said at the end. Love the podcast. It's the only one I listen to. Came for Olive and Mabel and stayed for the golf. Oh, good night, all. It's just all right. And I mean, I think that kind of wraps us up for, for today, actually. Andrew's off to do some do some commentary good luck in in the czech republic eddie i hope you keep it keep it going and um and emerge as a winner this week cheers ian yes i'm looking forward to it and i'm pleased with the promoter this is probably the strongest field he's ever had here and there's a couple of young players in particular playing like ludwig obery and uh adrian du chassard uh something like that (laughs) from belgium although i'm sure andrew will pick me up uh next week on that so i'm excited to see those um young lads playing and uh yeah it's always been a really good event to play uh, i've always felt like it should be a bigger event it's a lovely place prague nice golf course it's a very stress-free week um so and jen's come with me for the first time so um i am looking forward to it and i'll look forward to catching up with you uh, again next week excellent we'll look forward to all the adventures from from prague and uh good news your clubs are going by lorry not they're not flying there so you know they're going to be there you just got to choose which ones to use. Yeah, yeah, decisions, decisions. But I think I'll stick with what I had the, the last week. Excellent. Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, uh, Andrew. And uh, we'll speak to you next week. I'll have to get my uh, my grips changed. And that completes this edition of The Chipping Forecast. Wishing you a safe and pleasant night. Holding pocket.